A Chicago Tribune uh, writer published an article a number of years back that uh, I wish I could make up a story this good, but I can't. Mike uh, Royko was his name, and he wrote an article uh, uh, about a person who was in search of the meaning of life. And he went on a pilgrimage to, to India, a very spiritual nation, and uh, lots of different faiths around the world all gather in India. And he went to India to figure it out. His name was Bill Malaroy. And he came back from that journey quite disillusioned that he did not figure out on that trip, spent all that time, all that money, and did not figure out what the meaning and the purpose of life was. So whenever he got back, he got in his car and he was driving, and he came to a service station. I don't even know if these service stations even exist anymore. Chevron, a gas station. And there was a banner outside the gas station that said this, As you travel... Ask us. And so he did. He felt like he was a pilgrim on a journey. Uh, didn't know where he was going. Didn't know what the meaning of life was. So he just began to ask the, the, the gas attendants as he went along, the associates of Chevron. And he asked one guy, and the very first response that he got was a blank stare. And he said, sorry, I'm new here. Um, the rest of the story is a true story again. And it uh, was recorded in this article, and he actually began to document every time he went to Chevron sta- Station, every time he would ask them the same question. So as I journey, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? And he would get, again, these varying responses. One said, I don't remember that being in the training manual. Uh, another person said, I'm, I'm not a church uh, goer myself, sir. Uh, so he got these different responses, and finally... Somebody was attuned to what was going on here enough that they contacted the corporate headquarters. They had gotten his name, Bill Malaroy's name, and they had figured out his phone number. And somebody from the corporate offices called him from customer satisfaction. And they asked him, they said, we understand you've been coming uh, to our gas stations and you've been asking our associates a certain question and you're getting an unsatisfactory answer, and we would like to help you with that. So the corporate offices said, would you please, we're going to send you a, a self-addressed stamped envelope. You, would you please send us your question? And so that's exactly what he did. On one sheet of paper, he wanted to know what was the meaning of life. Put it in the self-addressed stamped envelope, sent it back to corporate offices, the big muckety-mucks at Chevron Corporate. We're going to decide and figure out what this one question was, And they themselves struggled with it to the point that what they did is they sent him back in an envelope their answer to the meaning of life. It was a credit card application. (laughs) So the moral of that story is, one, it's not credit and it's not a corporate headquarters and it's not the pimple-faced gas attendant that may be pumping your gas or something like that. You can ask a lot of people, what on earth are you here for? A lot of people, what is the big picture of life? A lot of people, what is the purpose of life? And you're going to get a lot of different answers. And I don't want us to go there. I don't want us to waste one life because that's all we have. I don't want, we don't get, we don't get do-overs. We don't get replays. We don't get any of that kind of stuff. I want to figure this out on the front end. And I want to figure it out for the rest of our life that we will live it out, whatever that purpose is, that big picture thing and what we're living for. Now, last week, I gave you a verse to memorize. Who tried to memorize Isaiah 44, verse 2? Raise your hand if you want to admit it or no one in the room. Oh, my goodness. 
you get a big F from last week, all right? So this week, and so I could sit here and butcher the verse, uh, and I did in the first service, by the way. I butchered it and messed it all up, but it's Isaiah 44, verse 2, and it's I think it says this. I'm not, I don't have any cheat sheets around me. I'm looking at your eyeballs, okay? So it's Isaiah 44, verse 2, and you check me out on this. I am your creator. Don't tell me. Uh, never mind. You don't need, you didn't memorize it, so you can't help me. Um, uh, I am your creator. I, no, excuse me. You were in my care even before you were born, all right? So I think that's a, Pretty powerful verse. Obviously, I'm putting myself on the stage in front of a bunch of people to memorize it. Please, at least give me some dignity and try this next week. We're going to give you a verse at the end. And work on the verse with me. I think these verses are powerful. We're really kind of summarizing some very heavy content into one simple statement. But that verse tells us who created us. It still doesn't answer the big question, why was I created? Why Am I here? Why do I have another day to live? And I think there's a, there's a lot of places you can go and a lot of places you can check out for answers like this. Like I said, Chevron corporate offices or whatever it may be. But I want us to go with something that has a little bit more history to it, a little bit more traction, a little bit maybe clarity to it. And I want us to try to figure out why we exist and thus the journey that we're on. In, in, excuse me, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it says this. You, God, created everything, which would complement the verse that we just tried to memorize. And it is for, listen to this, your pleasure that they exist and were created. It is for your pleasure, God. You created it all, and it is for your pleasure We need to get that. We need to understand that when God was doing the God thing, when God was creating, when God was breathing, when God spoke the world into existence, when the Big Bang was actually just God's voice speaking and it came into existence, when all of that happened, why did He do it? And the reason that He did it in the last book of the Bible gives us the answer. As most most good books, the last chapter, it all comes together. And it really does in, the, in this book as well. Is that He created what He created. He gives life to you today. You're sitting in this room today for His pleasure. And what does that mean? And how do I live that out? When you think about it, moms and dads, you know what I'm talking about. You know what this verse means. Why would you have children? Why do you have children? You get married and all of a sudden there's this biological clock inside of you ticking and you feel like, okay, it's time to have babies. And is it because you get a tax deduction? We need some more deductions and therefore we're going to add children to the mix. No, the deductions never mount up to the cost of the child. I'll promise you that. That's what you're going for. All right. So if God, why did you do what you do? Uh, is it simply because you have been told to procreate and that you need to repopulate the earth and all that kind of stuff? And there's certain families that are trying to do that better than others. And that may be your goal in, in, in that. But listen, it wasn't our goal. Whenever we started having children, there was a little tick inside of us that we started dreaming of an idea of playing and gooing and awing and and, and nurturing and loving and caring and raising. And we just had kids because we were selfish and we wanted to have kids. That's it. 
And really when it comes down to it, why do you have children? You have children because of your pleasure. You enjoy them. You enjoy to see them grow up and become something significant in life. We are at different stages with all of our children. We're seeing one get married in a month and a half. We're seeing two in college. We got one still at home. And we are celebrating at every junction of their life. We are enjoying being parents. It's for our pleasure that we've had It's for God's pleasure that he created you. And now how is it that I can help bring pleasure to God? Now, again, we sold this book last week, uh, uh, The Purpose Driven Life Remixed or Expanded called uh, What on Earth Are You Here For? And maybe you read it before and a lot of people got it but never read it before. And so I've had a lot of comments saying it's really been enlightening on their life. But really the question is not so much what are you about and what is your purpose, but it's really how do I fit into God's story? Because in chapter one, day one, statement one, the very first statement he makes in the book is it's not about you. And the sooner we get it off of us and onto him and we realize that he's the creator, he made us for his pleasure, and that if we will live to that pleasure, then we will start getting in on his story. Now, we had 2,600 or so people here last week, and we sold nearly every one of our books. We have 70 more books that came in this week, and I think we have about 20 left on the table out there. So if you didn't pick one up, I encourage you to grab one this week. Uh, you, You may be a week behind, but you can catch up really quick. Do a morning and an evening. Read through. They're really short and succinct. And just kind of start processing through what you're learning. And as God speaks to you, as a certain quote, as a certain verse stands out and jumps out to you. We want to know about it. The way we say amen in the church in the 21st century is by Jeep, by hashtags, okay? So do a hashtag. Just put into your Facebook, put at the end of the quote, put into your Twitter, hashtag GPC, what on earth? And then everybody in our faith community, everyone in the, in the network, if you will, will be able to see what other people God is saying to them. And it's really been pretty beautiful to see that as we go along. Take your Bibles. This all relates to where we're going today. Mark chapter 12 is where we'll be. Because I really believe this is a passage that shows that the question that we're asking today is not new. We're not some lost souls out here who've never asked the question before. We might be lost souls, but we've never, you know, we're coming up with an ingenious question that's never been asked before because we're so advanced in society that we're now coming to this understanding of purpose and meaning in life. Because I believe when you go to Mark chapter 12, you find a time when the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees were all together, and they were all talking, and some debating is going on. And a scribe, one who's probably the, uh, the, the person who is uber-organized, because a scribe was the one who would copy the Scriptures, and if there was any, any error whatsoever, they would restart all over again. And so this scribe would be the minutes-taker of a meeting. This scribe was the one who got down to the nitty-gritty on the details. And that's the kind of person that comes up to Jesus. And he asked him a very simple question. He asked them, in the McDaniel version, he asked them, what on earth am I here for? What's the most important thing about life? What's the big picture? What's my purpose? What's the purpose of life? He didn't ask it in those same words. He asked him, what is the most important commandment? The most important thing out there that we can't miss, we can't skip, we can't go past. If you want to sum everything up, you can put it right down here. Because uh, listen, listen, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had their laws. 
They took the Ten Commandments, they took the Old Testament, they, and they rewrote it and they added to it, and they come up with 613 laws. How can you keep up with 10 laws, let alone 613 laws? 249 of them were positive, you know, do this, do And then 365, one for every day of the year, were, it was negative, telling you not to do this, not to do that. Which is the most important of all of these? Asked Jesus. So let's read the passage here. Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 12, verse 28. It says, One of the scribes came up and heard them discussing or disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, ask him. So Jesus had good answers. So go to the one who has good answers. Which commandment is the most important of all? Want to get it all boiled down, Jesus? What is the one thing I cannot live without? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Jesus replied. He answered back. The most important one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, circle that word, with all of your soul, circle that word, with all of your mind, circle that word, and with all of your strength. And the second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you want to get it right down to the brass tacks. They want to know what's the foremost, what's the most important, what is the most important thing that I can't walk away from. And Jesus makes sure he understands it, so he restates it. The most important thing is this right here. And so I want to say to you today, the most important thing is bringing pleasure to God. We just read the verse back in Revelation. The most important thing is to love God and to bring pleasure to Him and and bring satisfaction to Him, to love God. Now, how do you sum it up? How do you bring the love of the Lord of God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength? How do you bring that down to one simple task, one word? Here it is, worship. Now, let me apologize on the front end of this message that we have done you a disservice as a church. Grace Point Church, I'm the pastor. I have done you a disservice at Grace Point Church. We have put across the front of this room, worship center. True, but not true. We have called this a worship gathering. True, but for a lot, not true. We can't create a room of worship. This band can't make you worship. I can't teach good enough to get your heart to worship. Listen, worship is an issue between you and God. Worship is a matter of a love relationship between you and God. It is when we bring pleasure to God. To love God is to please God. To please God is to worship God. The number one purpose in our life is worshiping God and pleasing Him, and bringing pleasure to Him. And how can we do that? And I think He makes it abundantly clear to us, but let's keep going a little further. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Out of the English version, it says this, Because of His great mercy to us, because of His great mercy to us, offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God, dedicated to the service and pleasing to Him. Pleasing to Him? Notice that phrase, pleasing Him. This is the true worship. 
that you offer. If you just take that sentence alone, you bring everything that I've said in the introduction of my message right there. Why do we worship? There's there's two things I, I would break that down. Worship is my response to God's love. Now notice what he said there. Because of his great mercy. It is my response to God's love for me. Who starts the relationship? Who initiates it? God does. I didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. There was a prompting. There was an urging. There was a, there was a tickling. There was a convicting. There was a work of God in me. There was a work of things in my life. As there is in everyone who becomes a follower of Christ. Worship is a response to his love. That's what it is. He is shows us love. He gives us mercy. That's what motivates it. This is why if you're in this room today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not trying to isolate you, but you're going to have a hard time ever worshiping him. Until you know and experience his love, until you walk in his mercy, until you really experience that, because worship flows out of relationship flows out of that relationship with Him. The second thing that I see here is worship is me giving back to God. Notice what He said here multiple times. Offer yourselves. The very last phrase, you should offer. This is what true worship looks like. So let me say it again. This band, though they do a great job, and the the praise team for the children over there, they'll do a great job. I'm sorry. They can't do enough, and we can't muster up enough to make you worship. All we can do is create an environment, create a pocket, create a place, invite you into it, and hopefully what you will do because you have a relationship with God and you're responding to His love, you're going to give back. You're going to offer yourselves. You're going to give back to Him something of yourself to God. Not only in this room, but throughout the rest of your days of your life. Notice what he said. He said, love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. He basically, this is total saturation kind of love. Where we love God so fully, so completely that every bit and crevice and corner and compartment and container of our life is in love with God. Now, how does that happen? You just take this phrase and you break it down. You can see that God wants us to love Him passionately, to love Him thoughtfully, to love Him practically. You can see it all right there. And I want us to break these down and just look at them real quickly today. Because again, as a disservice to you, we have called this place a worship place. We have called this hour the worship hour. We have called this band the worship band. But that doesn't mean there's worship. Worship is my response to God's love. So, what kind of relationship do you have there? See, whenever uh, Matt Redman was uh, leading worship in at a church in England, Souls Survivor Church in Waterford, England, he was a, an accomplished musician. He was he was a recording artist. He was very successful, but he, as the worship pastor in Jared's role, became very dis disenfranchised with his own worship, with his own band, with his own church. 
And as the worship pastor, he did the most bold thing I've ever heard any worship pastor do. He banned music from the church. He had no biblical basis for it because music is biblical. He banned singing from the church. In the fall of 1996, he put it off the stage. He said, until we really understand what worship is, we're not bringing it back. Took him some time. And through that journey, as most artists and musicians will do, they will write. And he wrote a song. A song that was very popular in the, in the turn of the century. It said this. It said, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you've required. He had made music worship. And that's not what God required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. See, real worship, authentic worship, you can be imperfect in worship. You cannot be inauthentic in worship. In authenticity, if I can spit that out, is not allowable. God searches deep into our hearts. You search much deeper within through the, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. So what does worship look like when he looks into our heart? Three acts of worship in this passage from these phrases, heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first one is that we see the expression of affection in worship. There's an expression of affection. This is an emotional connection. He said, with your heart and with your soul. The heart is that seat of emotions. It's the part that we try to cover up. It's the part that we call emotionalism sometimes. But really, we are emotional people. Don't cover it up. Now, some of y'all are bored stiff right here in this room right now. Some of y'all are bored with worship. You're bored with God. You're bored with it all. You're just here. And I'm sorry. I really am. I can't fix that in you. If I could, if I could flip a switch, if I could give you a pill, I'd fix it in a heartbeat. But really what worship comes down to is you love God. You absolutely love Him. And you can't be away from Him. You can't, you can't walk without Him. You can't not talk to Him because there's a heart and soul connection. There's a psychological connection. There's a personality connection with God. That's that word suke, which is where we get the word, or soul, is where we get the word suke, uh, psychology from that. You don't enter into a marriage relationship without it. Why would you enter into a divine relationship without it? Let me tell you, let me tell you a story. In Africa, they do things quite differently in a lot of different ways, but when we lived in Africa, we learned a lot about marriage and how marriages are done. I got a, I got a text from a friend recently, and we actually were talking about uh, something like this that prompted me to share this in my small group on Wednesday morning. But uh, the, um, the, the, my friend in, in the state, or excuse me, in, in Zambia, uh, Gibson Muno is his name. He texted me and told me he was getting married. Well, I knew that marriage in Africa was different than marriage in America. So I, I knew the next question to ask him. And I said, so how much is your bride costing you? See, in, in Africa, you buy your bride. 
They cost you so many goats and so many cows and so many chickens and so many things like that. And you negotiate with your in-laws. And some of you are thinking already, okay, this might work. Uh, make some money off this, uh, this little girl. Uh, and so uh, Gibson told me that his new bride was going to cost him four cows and five goats. That's a lot. I know I heard that whistle. That's a lot. Uh, she must be worth a lot. Now, they, they'll base that on education. They'll base that on hard works. They'll base that on a lot of different things. But really, when it comes down to it, it's not based on any kind of emotional connection or love. You just basically give them the goats and the cows and you get to have the wife. Now, here's the good thing, if you call it a good thing. If she doesn't work out, you can take her back. And you can get your goats and cows back. I don't know anything about appreciation or depreciation on the wife. But it's true. It happens. And I've seen it happen where they will trade in and they'll get their money back because they want to go get another wife because she didn't bear children. She didn't work hard enough. She didn't cook good enough and all this kind of... And it's purely a, a business kind of relationship. There is not a woman in this room, if you have your right mind that would enter into any kind of a relationship that had anything attached to it like that. But that's the way they do it in Zambia and a lot of other parts of Africa, for that matter. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is this, is that some of us treat God like a business partner, not like the groom that He is, not like a marriage relationship that we have. We enter into this relationship and there's an emotional love and attachment. There should be passion. There should be emotion. Listen to what Hosea said, speaking uh, uh, God's voice. He said, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. Don't go through the religious ceremonies for me. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Do you hear that desire for an emotional connection from God himself? I want you to know me. I want you to love me. I want you to show love for me. I want there to be an emotional connection that happens here. Exodus thirty four fourteen. Read this out loud with me. He is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. He is passionate about being in love with you and connected to you. It's not about a contract. It's not about that kind of relationship where you just do a business deal and you just punch in and punch out with God. If you really want to bring pleasure to Him, if you really want to show love to Him, bring yourself completely, emotionally, all to Him. I'm reading a book right now called Emotionally Destructive Relationships. It's a pretty enlightening book as I'm reading it. It's talking about what a destructive relationship looks like. And uh, there's five different marks of a destructive relationship. And one of them, the, the fifth mark of a destructive relationship says this. One person exhibits a chronic indifference or neglect or both toward the other toward their thoughts, towards their feelings, toward their well-being. Why? Are they mean? Well, that's one of the ways you can be in an emotionally destructive relationship. But simply, indifference and neglect. Indifference and neglect. Some of us, listen, 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 are in emotionally destructive relationship with God. 
because we just pretty much don't care. We don't give a rip. We're indifferent. And we'll show up here on Sunday and we'll look for a hot, fresh meal from the pastor. We want it to be fresh. We want the band to be be good. And we'll walk out and we'll evaluate it all, thinking that this is what worship is. No, this is a catalyst, hopefully, in your life to a life of worship where you emotionally are in a relationship with God Almighty. James said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you, speaking on behalf of God. Are you drawing closer to Him? Because when you do, you will connect with Him at a deeper level. Number two, second act of worship is worship, is focusing my attention on God. So I got this attraction to God, but I also should have my attentions, my mind set on God. Now your mind, as I remember hearing growing up, your mind is a terrible thing to waste. It's a powerful part of your life. But how focused is your mind on God and the things of God? The human brain is roughly 2% of your total weight, yet it uses 20% of your daily caloric intake. It is the machine behind the machine, the brain, the mind. A hundred trillion distinct neuro, neuro, uh, neuro, neuronal uh, connections are happening inside your brain. Firing constantly. Your brain is powerful. It's not a shoebox. It's not a hard drive that when it gets full, you have to go get another one. <laughs> it's a muscle that when you use it, it expands. God has given us the mind. We're even, as followers of Christ, been given the mind of Christ. We're told in Colossians 3 verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above. So here, here's, here's the challenge. In this room right now, I know some of you have already lost you in the message. That's okay. I realize that as a speaker. I speak slower than your mind thinks. Some of y'all are on Twitter right now, Facebook right now, texting right now, and you're not paying attention right now. Now you're putting your phone down real quickly because you don't want to be the one who's called out on your row. <laughs> and how do I know that is I just know you and I know me. And whenever there's any kind of a law in a moment, when there's any kind of a loss of attention in a moment, then what do we do? We go to the attention grabbers, the waste of time things like social media most, much of the time. And what I want to say to all of us in this room today, if you really want to love God, if you really want to bring pleasure to God, then not only love Him emotionally and connect with Him on an emotional level, but also love Him with your mind, giving that part of yourself that can grow and become Listen, He is giving Himself fully to you. He is understanding you inside and out. I know He's God, but He's setting the bar for us. Psalm 139, verse 1 and 3 says, You have looked deep into my heart, Lord. You know all about me. You know when I'm resting and you know when I'm working. And some of y'all are working right now. Some of y'all are listening to the rain right now. You notice everything I do and everywhere I go. But what I want to say is here, I want to bring you in and I want to do the best I can as a communicator to bring your mind for just a few moments, for just a few moments in every week to just focus 
But I hope that when you go out of here, it will be a catalytic experience. That when you go out of here, you will want your mind to focus. You will memorize Scripture. You will think on those things of God. You will set your mind on Him and let His thoughts become your thoughts. Romans 8, 7 out of the message says, Focusing on yourself is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed with self ignores God and ends up thinking more about self than God. Think about it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't become so well-adjusted in your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. One more. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace... All who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Set your mind. Fix your mind. Focus your attention. When your mind starts to drift towards meaningless chatter of the mind, wrestle it down and bring it back. Listen, most battles are won and lost between the ears. You win and lose the battle over lust and adultery between the ears. You lose the battle of your pride between the ears. You lose, you, you win or lose the battle of all of those temptations meantime right between the ears. If we can focus our thoughts, that's when I take you back to 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians where we read a few months ago. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So you want to destroy Satan and demolish what he is trying to do in your life? How do you do that? You take captive every thought. And you make it obedient to Christ. Take captive every thought. When the thought happens, when the idea happens and the idea is not of God, when the envy sets in, wrestle it down. When the lust comes on, when the jealousy is there, when the attitude of anger and pride is there, wrestle it down at that moment and start putting it into uh, under God's control and love Him and worship Him with your mind. Number three, the third act of worship is worship by using your abilities for God. Using your abilities for God. Notice what he said. He says, with my strength. We not only love Him with our heart and our soul and our mind, but we also love Him with our strength. We give Him our affections. We give Him our attention. We give Him our abilities. God has given every one of you in this room tremendous amounts of abilities and passions and interest. I love it when God's people use their skills for His glory. When they take a technical skill and they use it for a medical skill and they use it for His glory. They, they take an educational skill and they use it for His glory. They take a servant's heart and they just use it for His glory. Some talent, some skill that you have. And you take it and you take it to work with you for His glory. And you take it on mission with, with you for His glory. And you bring it here Sunday after Sunday and you use it for His glory. Think about your work for a moment. Have you ever thought about your work as being a place that you can worship God? Walmart, Tyson's, J.B. Hunt, the school, the government offices. You think you can actually worship God there? Absolutely you can. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you are working for the Lord and not for people. I love that. 
is actually talking about the verse in context. It's talking about people who are working and serving and doing. And as you're doing your job, you are literally doing it for God. Now, the city may pay your paycheck and the government may pay your paycheck and, the, and, the, and Walmart may pay your paycheck. But listen, do it as if you are doing it for God. Romans 12, again, verse 1, out of the message, take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around, and place it before God as an offering. What did I say? Offering, offering, offering. I keep saying that because you give as a response to God's love. You offer yourselves. You give of yourself. That is your part of worship. Are you willing to take what you have your heart, your soul, your mind, and even your strength and say, God, it is for you. I will use it for you. I don't know if you realize this on a week-in and week-out basis. And all week long, there's different things happening in and through the ministry of Grace Point Church. But on a week-to-week basis, at its bare minimum, it takes 259 volunteers just to function. 259 volunteers just to function. Now, some, it's really easy to just to come in and think, oh, the band's up there, the preacher's up there talking, and they've got people over there, and they take care of my kids. It doesn't happen like that. 259 people have said, I'm going to give up my strength. I'm going to give up some talent of mine. I'm going to sit and operate a computer and make slides happen on the screen. I'm going to play in a band and I'm going to teach a child over in preschool. And I'm going to take what strength I have and I'm going to offer it up to God. It's pleasing to Him. And we're, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a thing called Expo, where you're going to be exposed to opportunities of which you can become a part of the army of Grace Point. And the way we do that, we'll talk about that in our North Point that's actually happening this weekend. But let me just kind of emphasize this for just a moment. Just so you can get a, a full picture. This is the band. I keep talking about the band today. They're not our worshipers. They're our prompters of worship. But now I want you to know this about this band. As you saw them up here, and you'll see them up here in just a few moments, I want you to realize that every one of them, on average, this week alone, will devote nine hours to being here and leading you. Nine hours, three hours on Thursday night, another hour on their own, doing their own homework, getting the songs down, the keys down, things that I don't understand about music down. They'll be spending their time doing that and then they'll be here at 7.30 in the morning and they'll be one of the last ones to leave. And not only one of them, Jared, is paid to be here. Everyone else simply does it as an act of worship. And we come in and we slide in and we slide out and we evaluate and we critique and all that kind of stuff. But all they're doing is they're just giving of themselves and offering themselves up as living sacrifices to God in we world just next to us here where your preschool children are, 74 volunteers every Sunday just to function. 52 over in Kids Nation, children's part. This is an opportunity that we get to be a part of. And it's not just something that we can just keep the machine going. No, it's an opportunity so you can worship and I can worship and we can worship by using and loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and even our strength. This next week, you're going to read, if you're reading with us in in our book, you're going to read on day 12 this statement. And you're going to read it on the very first sentence 
It's going to say this. You're as close to God as you choose to be. And my friends, I can't say that enough. You are as close to God as you choose to be. He loves us. He initiated a relationship with us. And the question is put on the table for you and I today. How serious are we about loving Him? With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, So make it your goal to please Him. If He created us for His pleasure, make it your goal to please Him. Is that your ambition? Is that your desire in life? Because really what we're talking about, we're not talking about a business relationship. Again, it's not the African model marriage here. We're talking about a relationship built on love and trust and giving and serving and loyalty. That's how God started this thing. By sending His Son and by showing us His mercy and by giving us His grace. That's how this starts. Psalm 25 verse 14 out of the message, it says, God friendship is for God worshipers. They are the ones He confides in. Just think about that for a moment. You want to talk about worship? Let's talk about friendship. You want to talk about knowing God and experiencing God and walking with God? And and let's talk about Him confiding in those who worship Him. So say it again. You are as close to God as you choose to be. Romans chapter 6 Verse 13 is this week's memory verse. Please. Next week, when you come to class, I expect a better grade. Give your, let's read it together out loud. Maybe the only time you read it this week. Give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life. Completely. Give yourselves Completely, don't hold anything back. Body, soul, mind, spirit, everything, heart, dreams, passions. Give yourself completely to God since you have been given new life. Don't hold back. I am not a night owl. I'm a morning person. On a consistent basis, I am awake, either getting out of bed or waking up about 4 or 4.30 every morning. That's just how I'm wired. I slept in yesterday, made it to 5.30. Man, it felt great. That's just how I've been. And I, I don't like it, some of it, but it is how I... And I, so I start my days really early. I have a lot of 6 a.m. meetings and things like that. But when I can, I like to get up and I like to make the coffee. Lori cannot make coffee, all right? She messes it up every time. And she'll laugh about it. You ask her when you see her. I hear you can't make coffee. Give her a hard time about it. It spills over. It, it, the grounds are in the coffee. This is not a French press. You know, it's, 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 it's water. It's, 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 it's just a mess. So I say, honey, baby, I am the coffee maker of the home. And so I set the coffee maker. I do all that. And also, I like to make breakfast. And so I'll get up and I'll make breakfast and, and all that kind of stuff. This is my thing. Now, come dinner time, you don't want me in the kitchen. I've got three dishes at best, all right? 
And I can name them to you. If I get real creative, I might have a fourth. That's whenever I go from rice and beans to beans and rice. And so, and that's when I get creative. That's about it when it comes down to, 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 to dishes at night. Now, she's better in that area. She's creative in that area. She brings it to the table, no pun intended, well, pun intended, uh, to the table and it does a great job with it. Now, we don't go like this and she doesn't say it like this. Well, you know, he didn't make coffee for me this morning. And he didn't make breakfast for me this morning. So I'm not making dinner for him tonight. That's not how we function. You know, we're all in. We're all in. That means I'm helping. She's helping. I'm doing. She's doing. She's giving 100%, 100% of the time. I'm giving 100%, 100% of the time. That's the only way. It's going to work. In any marriage, whether on earth, in America, in Africa, or a marriage between God and us, God made you because He wanted you. He really did. He didn't have to. And you know the birds and the bees. He didn't have to bring the combination together, but He did. Okay? He did. So there's got to be something divine about your existence and why you're here. And, and so please lean in on that and say, God, in my life, is there any area of my life that is not pleasing to you, that doesn't bring, bring pleasure to you? I want to bring it. I want to give it away. I want to get out of my life. I want it gone because I want as my desire and my life ambition to love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and all of my strength. Would you bow with me and pray with me and just put yourself right out there right now and just tell Him in your own heart, Lord, I'm yours. Some of y'all, this has been a religious game for way too long. You've been playing church, playing religion. Stop it. Please don't do that to yourself. If you're not going to be completely given, fully given to Him, don't play around any longer. Get serious. Father God, You know our hearts and You know where we're at and you know our distractions and you know our loves and you know our passions. And Lord, if it's not set on you, if it's not fixed on you, it's not worship, Lord. It's not honoring and it doesn't bring pleasure to you. So Lord, whether we're coaching T-ball, we're working on our jobs, solving critical money issues. We're serving our community through education and through city government. Lord, may we live every moment of our life fully engaged, completely given over to You. Thank You for creating us. Thank You for caring about us even before we were born. 
Thank you for giving us a purpose to live. And Lord, would you receive our worship as we stand, as we sing, as we give ourselves fully to you, Lord. May it be a declaration from within and not just from without. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, you can stand and you can sing with us. This is your time right now.